Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. Good morning. It's 7.30 on Wall Street. I'm Michael McKee along with Tom Keene. Two hours away from the opening of trading. Hard to tell exactly what's going to happen because futures are pairing losses at this point. S&P futures down just uh, three points, a tenth of a percent. They were down as much as nine points earlier. Some of the news you need to know about what may be happening in markets today. Federal mogul says Carl Icahn is offering $7 a share for the part of the company he doesn't own. He owns about 82% of it. Also, a Tribune Media announcing this morning it is going to explore strategic options for the uh, broadcaster. It's also talking about uh, continuing to monetize its uh, properties, including the Tribune Tower. Nissan Motor shares up significantly after the Japanese automaker says it plans the biggest share buyback ever in uh, its company's history, the first in more than four years. And Valiant Pharmaceuticals, the CEO is coming back, going to withdraw its financial forecast, will delay releasing its fourth quarter results. Now let's check in with Michael Barr and get the latest world and national headlines. Mike, thank you very much. Ahead of Super Tuesday, Republican presidential candidate Marco Rubio is blasting rival Donald Trump for not rejecting support from KKK Grand Dragon, David Duke, and other white supremacists. When asked about Duke, Trump said, I don't know anything about David Duke, okay? But in a 2000 New York Times op-ed piece, Trump said Duke was part of a fringe element of the Reform Party. Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton is turning her attention to her Republican rivals after winning the South Carolina primary over Bernie Sanders. During her visits to two Memphis churches yesterday, Clinton called on Republican Donald Trump to unite the nation, and she asked worshipers to reject the demagoguery, the prejudice, and paranoia. The Royal Caribbean cruise ship that was damaged in a storm earlier this month was forced to abandon its latest trip. The Anthem of the Seas was forced to announce its return to port in New Jersey because of weather issues. The drama spotlight has won Best Picture at the Academy Awards. The film about the Boston Globe's investigative reporting on sexual abuse by Roman Catholic priest took the picture. Leonardo DiCaprio won the Best Actor Award for his role in the movie The Revenant. Climate change is real. It is happening right now. It is the most urgent threat facing our entire species Brie Larson won for Best Actress. Global News, 24 hours a day. I'm Michael Barr. Mike? Thank you, Michael. Now it's time for the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update. Here's John Stashow. All right, thanks, Mike. A night after the NBA's MVP, Steph Curry put on that shooting clinic, making 75% of his three-pointers. The Knicks made 37% of all their shots. Carmelo Anthony just 9 of 24. He's under 33%. Over his last three games, and at the Garden, Knicks never led. Lost to Miami, 98-81. to Now 14 losses in the last 17 games. Dwayne Wade led Miami with 26 points. Joe Johnson scored 12 in his Heat debut. He was released last week by Brooklyn. Bad loss for the Islanders. They had the lead midway through the third period, then gave up three goals in less than seven minutes. Fell 3-1 at Edmonton. Oilers had lost their previous seven. This ends the Isles' three-game win streak. Rangers tonight host Columbus. They just acquired veteran Eric Stahl from Carolina for a prospect and two draft picks. Stahl's a four-time All-Star. He'll debut for the Rangers tonight against Columbus. With the Bloomberg NBC Sports Update, I'm John Stashek. 
Thank you, John. Right now, as we mentioned, uh, futures are pairing their losses, and in Europe, we're looking at the stock 600 just about flat. This is Bloomberg Surveillance on Bloomberg Radio Worldwide. Welcome back to Bloomberg Surveillance. I'm Michael McKee, along with Tom Keen. Hard to tell exactly how we're going to start the day. We were significantly negative in the overnight hours in the futures markets and in Europe. Europe is still down a lot. The DAX by 85 points right now, but S&P futures are now down just a point. Dow futures off by 18 and NASDAQ futures by 8. That is uh, much less than we were down before on the day. So we'll see how things work out at 9.30 when the markets open. Right now, the Bloomberg NJIT STEM report brought to you by New Jersey Institute of Technology, partnering with government and industry to apply the university's world-class research assets to innovate and spur economic growth. Learn more at njit.edu. Here's Bob Moon. Michael, thank you. At 7.35 on Wall Street, here's what's making news in science, technology, engineering, and math. Something that Apple chief Tim Cook told ABC News caught our ear last week. Here's what he said. There's probably more information about you on your phone than there is in your house. As lawmakers prepare to take up the privacy versus law enforcement question on Capitol Hill tomorrow, sparked by Apple's refusal to help crack a dead terrorist iPhone, you might want to think about, if you haven't already, what your phone can tell anyone about you more than you might think. It knows where you've been and who you were with, the birthday gift you bought your mother and quite possibly who you plan to vote for. Sex last night, it knows that too if you're using one of the applications for couples trying to conceive. From pre-installed apps that count your steps to save passwords for banking accounts and social media, smartphones have evolved from devices that make calls into digital repositories for the most intimate details of your life. And not just your personal life. Security experts point out there are windows into your professional life as well. The world's 7.3 billion people now have an estimated 3.4 billion smartphones, according to data from communications company Ericsson. And we're all carrying around computers that process more information faster than the computers NASA used to put humans on the moon. And that's this morning's Bloomberg NJIT STEM report. Michael. Thank you, Bob Moon. Philip Swagel uh, was formerly at the Treasury Department as Assistant, Assistant Secretary for Economic Policy. He was there December 2006 to January 2009, which put him square in the crosshairs of the financial crisis. He helped write the original TARP plan. He is now a senior fellow and professor at the University of Maryland School of Public Policy. And he has a new report out published by the Milken Institute about the last crisis, the next crisis, and the future of large banks. And I found it kind of fascinating, uh, your look at the, the future of large banks, because in a nutshell, you kind of point out that banks fought tooth and nail against having to adopt the additional regulatory uh, burdens of Dodd-Frank, and yet Dodd-Frank may be all that's standing between them and dismantling at this point. It is an irony, and good morning. Thanks for having me on. That, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, look, I, I think bankers after the crisis understood that more regulation was needed, but many of them looked at uh, Dodd-Frank and said, you know, this is just way overboard. You know, things like the Volcker Rule and push uh, pushout, which has been repealed. Uh, but now with the calls to break up big banks, and including possibly from my former colleague in Minneapolis, you know, now in Minneapolis, uh, the regulatory system has to work. Because if it doesn't work, then the banks are really in trouble. Well, you take that part apart and you talk about would this system have worked to prevent the 2008 crisis? And your conclusion seems to be maybe, maybe not. Yeah, it's really too soon to tell. And, of course, we're not going to know for sure till the next crisis. Um, you know, to me, the, the key 
is the, uh, the, the, the new resolution authority, the, the so-called Title II uh, of Dodd-Frank. And if, if one big bank fails, I'm pretty confident that's going to work, right? That the, it's almost like AIG is going to happen all over again, you know, which no one will like. But the FDIC, the Fed, the Treasury, other regulators can, can handle that, will impose the losses that, that uh, you know, have to be uh, meted out to make sure there's no bailout. If, if a couple of big banks fail at the same time, which is really what Title II is meant to address, it's just not clear that regulators are going to be willing to, to dole out those losses if that sparks another panic. And so that, in some sense, there's a choice then between bailout or a failure of the financial system. And, you know, until we resolve that and know for sure it'll work, we, we just don't know that we've addressed too big to fail. Well, so much of this, I guess, depends on how the markets react to these developments, confidence in what might happen in a bank failure situation when, when – uh, a bank goes down, it's not that people think that the government's going to be able to save them. It's that the FDIC is there with bank deposit insurance. That's exactly right. And that, right, that's the reason that, uh, you know, when the bank at the corner fails, it's orderly. You know, it's not that people have any special trust in the FDIC to, you know, to do the financial workout, although they actually do it pretty well, is that because, as you said, the, bank, the uh, deposit insurance is there. And what Title II of Dodd-Frank does is says there's no deposit insurance. It's the opposite. All these, you know, um, all, all the, the non-deposit funding, that's all uninsured. And so, you know, Title II says if a big, big bank gets into trouble, the people have put their money there other than the insured deposits, you will expect to take losses. And, uh, and we, we've seen at least one example uh, during the financial crisis when it has a treasury of the panic that can ensue, and that was when, when WAMU failed and the FDIC imposed losses on the senior bondholders that, that they probably didn't expect to take. That led to the immediate failure of Wachovia. And so that, that's the kind of panic that uh, the Tao-Tu is meant to address, but instead it, it might spark it. Uh, in, uh, inadvertently. Well, let's come back with uh, Phil Swagel. He's a professor at the University of Maryland School of Public Policy, formerly at the Treasury Department. His new paper, The Last Crisis, The Next Crisis, and the Future of Large Banks. We'll talk about the next crisis and the future of large banks coming up on Bloomberg Surveillance. Uh, right now, J.P. Morgan Chase enters the day uh, slightly higher for the the previous week at 5745 that's the biggest of the big banks people wondering what's going to happen to them if there is a crisis well right now the markets are telling us that there's no crisis but there is reason for concern S&P futures down by 2 points Dow futures 20 points a little deterioration in the last 10 minutes or so this is Bloomberg surveillance on Bloomberg radio worldwide We're counting it down to the opening bell. Less than two hours to go. Brought to you by NYCB. Ask about their My Community Interest checking with free NYCB online and mobile banking. Earn more. Get more. Visit NYCBFamily.com for details.